Romans 10, 14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their word to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary. Thanks, Dan. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer uh, before we consider those texts. Lord, we gather now to hear your word, to hear what it is that you say to us, and uh, marvel at the fact that the God of all creation, the God who, uh, at a word, made a universe so fast we can't even comprehend it, that that God would seek to speak with us. Um, the tiniest of specks on a tiny speck within a vast sea of, of uh, space. And you've chosen to speak with us, to talk with us. Lord, you chose to become one of us, to take on a human nature. Lord, you inspired scriptures. You caused tiny specks of dust to write your very words for us. And so, Lord, um, it is an amazing thing to think that you have... Um, deigned to speak to us, that you would come and, and, and communicate with us in a simple and a humble way. Uh, Lord, make us receptive, make us to hear. And Father, since you are the creator, sustainer, and ruler of all that is, uh, we know that we can come to you with confidence because you have the power and the authority to do uh, whatever your good and right will is. And so, Father, we appeal to you, uh, first of all, as we see the the pandemic begin to surge now in our nation and around the world. Uh, Father, we pray for your mercy. Lord, your grace would extend to uh, uh, people who don't deserve it once more. Um, Lord, we are so presumptuous that we would ask you to spare us uh, this, this um, horrible disease because of your desire to, not because of our worth or, or because we, we deserve to not suffer. Uh, Lord, so I pray that the the vaccines that are being developed would be effective. They would be able to be mass produced and, and distributed safely. And, and uh, Lord, that the people who need them most would get them first. Uh, Lord, that uh, this might begin to bring this pandemic under control. Uh, Father, we pray for um, those in authority, the, the government leaders, the doctors, the researchers. Lord, we pray that you would grant them extraordinary wisdom, uh, great compassion and care. And Lord, that uh, through the work of these people, you would um, enact uh, 
uh, something that would curb the illness that would save many lives. And uh, Father, thinking of our, our government, uh, we pray for um, the results of the election. We pray that you would bring about a peaceful transition of, uh, of power, Lord, that, um, that we would experience uh, the, the freedom and the civility that we have in this nation, Lord, that it would come about uh, by your hand and, and through your authority. And so, Lord, I pray that the legal challenges to the, the um, election would either bear fruit and, uh, and, and show that results need to be changed or that they would disappear and drop. Uh, Lord, we, we can't know all the details, but you do. And so would you bring about and, and have mercy on our nation and bring us through that. Um, and Lord, uh, again, we ask that you'd be with us now. Holy Spirit, this is your word. You wrote it, you inspired it. And uh, you caused people to, to speak your very words. You carried them along. And so as we turn to it now, we ask your help and understanding and in, in engaging with it. And uh, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so um, we are still in um, Paul's section where he's dealing with the question, what about the Jews? What happened? And uh, this, this morning, as we finish chapter 10, um, we're, we're kind of finishing up this discussion. And Jim and I were talking yesterday about how chapter 11 really is the crescendo, the, the, the big, huge statement where Paul sums up everything he's been saying in 9 and 10. And so Jim and I were both kind of looking forward to get to 11, but we have to take it, pardon me, one step at a time. So today we're finishing his argument. And again, this, this really is the other half of last week. So um, it's hard to break them up and, and take them apart. But I, I think this is a, a section that will help us to see and to understand. And really the, the major theme of this last portion is that faith comes by hearing that um, we've talked a number of different things about how God is the one who has mercy on whom he will have mercy, that uh, it doesn't depend on human desire or human will, that God is the one who does this. And so when we get to this portion, we're actually asking, how does God do that? What, what means does he use? What way does he have that happen? And that's what Paul's going to be, begin to answer. But we can't get too far away from the fact that this is answering the question, what about Israel? And so as we're looking at that, we're going to have to, to, uh, to say this is how this happens and, and what did Israel miss? That's kind of what we talked about last week. Um, last week we said the law itself proclaimed the gospel when we looked at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and that had the Jews been faithful and honest with the law, they would have heard the gospel, but they didn't. So now we move on and we, 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 we take this, this next step. Um, so what we're going to see is, is in the first couple of verses, how God saves people. Um, what is it, the means that he used? The next two verses, we'll talk about how people reject God, because remember, we've talked about the sovereignty of God's will, but also the responsibility of people. Those two are presented in the Bible as not in conflict or in contradiction, but they fit together. And so we see that happening again. And then finally, why is it that people have no excuse? So that, that's where we're going to go. So let's take a look at this first one. Uh, the first two verses, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? So this really goes back to chapter, or the uh, verse uh, 13 uh, from the previous section. Verse 13 ended with, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And so then Paul says, well, then how can they call on him? Um, how is it that they can call if they haven't believed? Um, in other words, there is a content to our faith. We're justified by faith alone. But that faith that we're justified by is not just happy thoughts or, or an optimism or believing in believing or something like that. There's a, there's a real content to it. So Paul asked that question, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? If everyone will be saved, if they call on the Lord, how can they believe? And so what Paul is, is showing us here is there is a way that this, this justification by faith alone comes to people. Um, it is through the message being preached. It is through people talking to people. Uh, now, it is, it, we, we just pass over that. I don't think we think about that very much. If you slow down and consider that for a moment, God has chosen the best way, the way that would be uh, most conducive to his purpose in election is to have people he saved tell people about how to be saved. That's, that's what brings him the greatest glory. It's a tremendous honor for us that we get to participate in that. God could have and has, but, but most often he doesn't. God could have done it himself. He could be the one that goes out and preaches. For example, in uh, 1 Samuel, the beginning of 1 Samuel, <coughs> young Samuel is brought to or to the tabernacle, and that's where he's, uh, Hannah, his mother, had given him, dedicated him to serve the Lord. In chapter three, there's a, a story of Samuel hearing the Lord call him and not know who it is, uh, beginning in verse six. The Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Levi and said, here I am, for you called me. He said, I did not call you, my son, lay down again. And then verse seven, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The Lord is calling to Samuel, and Samuel doesn't know him yet. And uh, it's kind of a human story. He keeps going back and waking up Eli, and Eli finally gets it. It takes him a couple of times when he finally realizes, oh, wait, that's God talking to him. And so he tells him, now, next time, go and answer him. And so in verse 10, it says, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which two ears of anyone who hears it will tingle. So in this case, God himself went to Samuel and introduced himself. And that could be, God has done it. God, that could be the way that God would do it, is he would himself would give the gospel to his people, to those he foreknew and those he predestined. He could have sent an angel. Um, the story that I think of is, is uh, Genesis 19, um, in Sodom. Um, now, Lot apparently knew the Lord because he'd been hanging around with Abraham for a while. It was God who sent two angels into Sodom to save Lot and tell him, you have to leave and, and drag, practically drag him out of the city. So God could have sent an angel to make this announcement, to pr pronounce to people, this is how you can be saved and, and to drag them into salvation, but he doesn't. The, the way he chooses to do it, more often than not, it's also known as the ordinary means, which doesn't mean that they're, they're not special or not uh, glorious. It just means it's the way it usually happens, is God chooses work through people, to work through his people to tell others. So think about Acts chapter 8 uh, with Philip. Uh, Philip is is been he's left Jerusalem because of the persecution that started, and he's he's traveling in Judea. And in uh, chapter eight, verse twenty six, 
An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, so God sends an angel, instead of to tell the Ethiopian eunuch the gospel, he sends an angel to tell Philip to go down there. Do you go down and do that? Um, and so he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a, a fiddle of the court of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of all her treasuries. He had come to Jerusalem to work and was returning, seated in his chariot. And as he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, over to the chair, go over and join the chair. So an angel comes to Philip and says, go to this road. And as he's standing there, he sees the chariot come by and the spirit himself comes and says, Philip, now you go talk to that Ethiopian. You go up to that chariot and talk to him. The spirit could have come and spoke directly to the, the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading the Bible, but the way God chose to do it, the way the ordinary means that God chose to do it was he directed Philip, go talk to that man. Or think of another story, Acts chapter 10, uh, Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius was a good and an honorable man. He was a centurion. He was a Roman uh, um, military official, but he loved the Jewish people and he had done good for them. And so how did God decide that he would bring the gospel to, um, to this Gentile, to this, this Roman centurion? He didn't just have an angel show up. As a matter of fact, what happens is an angel shows up and talks to him in a vision. It says, uh, chapter 10, verse, nine, verse 3, And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So in this instance, God sends an angel not to pronounce the gospel to Cornelius, but to tell Cornelius where you can get the gospel. You go and, and, and send to this particular place and have Peter come here. That is what we see throughout the New Testament and our personal experience. More often than not, the way God ordinarily saves people is he does it by having his people tell the story. Um, it, it, it is God telling us to go and make disciples of the nations. Um, one of the great things, I love our new members class because one of the questions we ask in the new members class is, how did you find out about Trinity? And it's always interesting to hear how people wind up at Trinity. But the, the best question is, is if they want to apply for membership, we say, well, tell us your testimony. How did you come to know Jesus? And it's varied. There's a bunch of different ways. Some people just grew up in a Christian home and always believed. They, did, they never can name a day when they didn't you know, consciously, awarely not believe in Jesus. And that's glorious because God has been faithful to them. He's called them from a young age. They've had years to, uh, to serve and to honor him. Um, others are called later in life through a friend or a parent or something. But, but more often than not, the story is, Somebody told me about Jesus, and, and I love hearing those stories. And so when Paul asked that question, how will they call on him who they've not believed, and how will they believe in him who they've never heard, and how will they hear without someone preaching? That is such a tremendous honor to us to be called to do that very thing, to share the gospel with people. And don't forget, this is not our work. Um, Romans 8.30, remember chapter 8, those he foreknew— uh, and those whom he predestined, he also called. 
and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So when we talk about the salvation, it is God's work. God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God adopted, God will glorify, God will sanctify. It's his work. And yet, he invites us to participate with him. Come and join with me in this work. Um, do you have to fear that if you don't do it right, it's not going to work? Is it, does it all rest on your shoulders? No, it's, it's God who calls. It's God who has mercy. And so what's amazing is he invites us in. He says, my child, come and do this. Join with me and, and make this announcement so that I might bring the uh, salvation to these people. So God sends us, he tells us, since we don't know who he's foreknown and predestined and all that, he tells us, go out and preach the gospel. Um, go preach it to everyone. Uh, we preach it liberally. So we call, we're told to call everyone. And so we go out and we, we issue this call. If you will believe this gospel, you will be saved. But what's really interesting is it's, is it's God who does the calling of the person. So he sends us to call them. But when it comes to the salvation, he calls them. He says, you come. And then what does Paul say? How can they call on him who they have not believed? And so when God calls that person, that person then calls on the Lord. Uh, so there's this, this wonderful uh, swirl of calling and trusting and hoping. And, and it all comes together in a very personal, in a very human way. And it's just such a great, wonderful privilege that we get to do this. And so we get to call people and we get to tell them this wonderful message. If you will believe in the Lord, you will be saved. So it's hearing. It's hearing that message. That's how we're justified, because we're justified by faith. And like I said, it's not faith just in faith or, or, or a positive feeling or a hopeful future or something. There's something very specific to the faith by which we're saved. Because he says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him. So it's a very personal, it's a, it's a very specific thing. And don't forget what we saw last week is in verse 9, Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's a very specific thing that you, we must believe, that there's something ultimately true that we have to believe in. Um, and it's not just some, some abstract proposition. It's not just some, some odd statement. Uh, I, I always think of uh, John Mayer in his 2001 song, Real World. Um, what he did is he set Buddhism to pop music. And the refrain is, I want to run through the halls of my high school. I want to scream at the top of my lungs. I just found out there's no such thing as the real world, just the lie we have to rise above. So in, in Buddhism, for example, there's no history. There's no story to that. There, it's a propositional statement. There is no real world. You're experiencing a lie, and you have to rise above that lie. You have to come to the point where you will no longer believe the lie that you're trapped in, and that you will escape, escape into nirvana. You will become one with, with ultimate um, emptiness. It, th those are all propositional statements. They're not a story. What we have is we have a story. We have something that happened in history. Um, it, it, it happened in space and time. So try to tell somebody the gospel without telling them the story. Jesus lived a life, and, and all this right there, you're already telling a story of something that happened in space and time. So Christianity is not asking us to believe some abstract statement. 
It is announcing an extraordinary event that actually happened in history. Jesus Christ became man. He lived a life that was without sin. He died under unrighteous hands of unrighteous people. He was in the ground for three days, and then God raised him to new life. The, the, notice that is not a propositional statement of um, this fact and that fact. It is a story of something that's happened. And that's the story that we have to tell people. We have to announce to people that this happened. So there's an apocryphal saying that's supposedly attributed to St. Francis that says, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. There's no proof that Francis ever said it. And to preach the gospel you must use words. It's, you just you haven't done it if you haven't used words. And so that's what we're told to believe. How will they believe in him who they've not heard? And how will they not hear if nobody preaches to them? So we have a content. We have a message that we have to bring to people. So does that mean that all we have to do then is go out and stand in the street and yell, uh, Jesus died for your sins and rose again? And that will be it. We'll check it off. We're done. We've done what we're supposed to do. Um, if it was only that simple. The gospel is not magic words that we pronounce over people and poof, things happen. The gospel is something that we're told to pronounce to people. How will we, how will they believe if they, ha they haven't heard? And so the hearing portion is really important. So when it comes to preaching the gospel, I think a great example of being aware of who you're speaking to is Acts chapter 17. Um, it's in verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw a city full of idols. So Paul has left Thessalonica because of persecution. He's traveled to Athens. And as he's walking around and looking, he is just overwhelmed by the idolatry of the place. There is an idol on every corner. It's just overwhelming. So what does he do? Does he start throwing down idols and, and yelling? No, here's what he does. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons. He's in the marketplace and he sees idols. And so what does his first, what's his first reaction? He goes to the synagogue where there are no idols. The Jews were not allowed to make idols. It would be a violation of the law. And that's where he goes and he reasons with them. So why does he go there? Well, he goes there because he knows these people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear from you. And so he's, he's going to the, the synagogue, he's going to religious people who understand, calling them to Jesus Christ so that they can go out and begin to make disciples too. But that's not where it ends. It says that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews every day with those who happened to be there. So he did go into the marketplace and make those announcements. He did go and preach. And that's how, in the end, he gets invited to the Areopagus. This is, you know, th this is the Facebook of the, the first century. This is where people are going to share ideas and interact and discuss. And so when he gets there, does he just read scripture to them? No, he reads their own prophets. He says, look, this is what you guys have said, and let me explain it to you. So when it comes to preaching the gospel, we have to use the words. We have to tell the story. But I think what the scriptural picture here is, we have to be aware of who we're speaking to and how to communicate and how to connect with them the best. So it requires some thought and some preparation. So what are we supposed to do? If we are sent to preach, if we're the ones who have to tell other people how to be saved, what are we supposed to do? Well, first of all, 
I think the, the you know, usually goes without saying, which means you have to say it, pray. We have to start by prayer. Why do we have to start with prayer? Because it's God who calls, remember? It is God who calls out to them. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, Romans 9, 16. So if it depends not on human will or human uh, um, exertion, but it depends on God, then pray and say, God, would you bring people to yourself? Would you open them up? Ask God to have mercy because that's what it depends on. Lord, I, I have this friend and I'm sharing with them. Would you have mercy on that person? Be aware of who you're speaking to. There's no, did you notice that there is no formula? There's no um, set words in the Bible that says, this is the gospel. Say these words and you have preached the gospel. When you look at it, it's, it's done in different ways, in different places. It depends on who you're speaking to. But at the heart of it, it always comes back down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, Jesus has, has come and he's died for you. So tracks are helpful. Um, the Evangel Cube we used to use in, in uh, China is nice because you go through the story, but there's no place in the Bible that says here is the elements of the gospel that you have to preach. It, de it depends on different people at different times. The Jews got a different type of gospel presentation than the Gentiles did. The Jews start with a set of presuppositions and the Gentiles start with a completely different set. So be aware, pray, be aware of who you're speaking to. One of the big ones is show respect. You need to show respect to the person you're, you're speaking to. If you don't show them respect, if it doesn't come across that you care, it can make the other person, especially in cynical America these days, it can make them feel like they're a target. Like, is this some sort of multi-level marketing scheme? Are you trying to sell me something? Uh, what do you want? So the way to do it is, is you bring to them this, this message, but you do it in a sense of, I care for you. So do you remember in um, about a thousand years ago before COVID-19, we would go to ABC and we would stand out and we would hand out bottles of water, pens and pencils, offer to pray for people. And I can't tell you how many times people would come up and go, what do you want? I don't want anything. We just want to bless you. And, and that was just mind blowing to people. So whatever it takes, however you do it, whatever context you're in, show that you care. So pray. Um, be aware of who you're speaking to, what, how does the message need to be preached, and then show them that you care. And then another one that's really important, and, and I think uh, Dan was kind of talking about this in Sunday school this morning, live consistently with your message. If, if you're going to go to somebody and you're going to pronounce to them peace and grace and mercy, and you are the least peaceful, the least gracious, the least merciful, that, that's showing a conflict and, and people aren't going to connect with it. So live according to what you actually believe and live in a way that other people see it. They need to recognize this is something that's real for this person. And, and I think a part of that is practice hospitality. That's hard to do in a pandemic, um, but that, that's part of that, that living consistently with your message and showing that you care. And then finally, you have to send that, that's what Paul is saying. How will they hear if nobody preaches and how will they preach if they're not sent? And so we don't always have to go, but we do. We are called to be sent to sending. And so I'm grateful, glad to announce that next year's budget, 12% of our budget go, or almost 12% goes to missions because we're sending. And so be involved in those things. And then at the end, you, you have to announce the words. You have to tell the story. 
Um, if you want help with that, if you want some practical advice, uh, this book by Jerem Bars called The Heart of Evangelism. Um, it's a little bit thick, but um, the chapters are fairly short and it's got some real practical information on, on how to share the gospel. And what I love about Barr's book is it's the heart of evangelism. It's not the duty. It's not the requirement. It's not the, you're not really a disciple if you're not doing it. It is the heart. It is, he appeals to why would you share the gospel? How would you share the gospel? And he puts it at such a low, easy level. It's like, well, this isn't as intimidating as I thought. So that, that can be helpful. And so at the end of that section, Paul says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Um, Paul is not complimenting his own feet. He didn't get a pedicure and say, look how pretty my feet are. He's saying, if you bring this kind of message, how will it be received? How, how will people hear and, and receive this message? Um, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? Imagine if somebody showed up at your door and said, it's happened. We have a cure for COVID-19, and it's not just to prevent it. It cures it. If you have lung damage or heart problems or other issues that, that were made worse by COVID-19, we have a cure. It'll make all of those things go back to normal. Would that be good news? Would you welcome that person? Would you be glad to hear that person? COVID-19 is nothing compared to what the gospel is saying, which is, you will go to hell if you don't, if you aren't reconciled to God. And the, the simple, the most basic way to be reconciled to God, the only way to be reconciled to God is simply to believe in him. What good news is that? And so when you hear that, you look at the messenger and you go, that's beautiful. And you're glad to hear them. The, the feet of the messenger are beautiful. In other words, the way that it came to you is just an amazing thing. And so that's the hope. That's how God saves people is he saves people by having a general call to all people that his people carry out, and then he calls people to himself so that they may call on him. So then the next section is the bad news, because don't forget, we're in this, this section where we're dealing with the question, but what about Israel? So verses 16 and 17 are really about how people reject God. Verse 16, he says, but they have not obey, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So he begins with this, this statement, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Um, what about the gospel must you obey? What, what portion of the gospel do you have to do? Now, remember what I said the gospel was, is the gospel is not a set of propositional statements. It's not a moral code that you have to live up to. It's a story. It's a story of a person, of a God who, who loved his creation so much, he came in the form of a human being. So how do you obey a story? How is it that they have not all obeyed the gospel? Well, Paul answers himself. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we, he has heard from us? The gospel imperative, the command, the thing that you must do in order to be saved, is you must believe. That's the gospel imperative. So what is it that the Jews didn't get? Well, when Jesus came, they didn't believe him. They, they heard the message and they went, yeah, we don't want that. He, he's not the Messiah we're looking for. We wanted these things and he's offering those things and that's just not what we want. So that's why he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
So if we go back to last section, when Paul pulled up Deuteronomy 30 and, and said, here's what, what Moses himself said. And, and his interpretation of that was, this was the preaching of the gospel. What Isaiah is saying is they don't believe it. They don't want to hear that. Faith comes through hearing and they don't want to hear it. And hearing through the word of God, the word of Moses, the word of uh, Abraham. No, it's through the word of Christ. So if you don't accept Christ, if you're not willing to accept the word of Christ, you can't be saved. That, that's what Paul, I think that's what Jesus was talking about um, when he talked about the unpardonable sin. Um, the, the sin against the, the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unpardonable. Um, why is it unpardonable? It, because what those people did when they committed that unpardonable um, sin was they not only heard Jesus preach, they saw his power. They watched him cast out demons. They watched him heal people. And their hearts were so hardened when they looked at it, they said, that's not the power of God. That's the power of Satan. Now, if they have so distorted that, if they have rejected the word of Christ in that manner, how could they be saved? What other way would there be? They've already discounted and, and thrown aside the one way that they could be saved and attributed it to Satan. So they can't be saved. It's unpardonable because they won't come to be pardoned. So faith comes through hearing, and hearing is through the word of God. So what, again, is that message that we have to hear and believe? What Paul said in, in verse 9 was, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what we're called to do, the gospel imperative, is to trust, is to, to hear this story about what Jesus did and say, Lord, that's what I'm putting my hope in. That's what I'm trusting. That's it. I've got no more imperative, no more to do. Um, and so I'm going to do what you asked me to do. Faith comes through hearing, not by force. And so that brings us to the last question. Well, then what about people who've never heard the gospel? Are they pardoned? And so what Paul does is he, he lists a, a, a series of biblical quotes, um, beginning in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for, and he quotes Psalm 19, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I held out my hands to an disobedient and a contrary people. So the Psalm 19 at the beginning, um, Psalm 19, remember, talks about um, the, the sun coming out and moving across the sky. And, and what it says in Psalm 19 is that the sun has a voice and it preaches as it goes. And so what Paul is talking or what the, the psalmist is talking about there is not uh, that there's something about the sun that speaks or something. What he's saying is, look at creation. Just, just look across creation. And you can see God's goodness because he makes the sun to rise and to set. He, he brings the, the uh, rain and the wind. He causes the fields to grow. Um, creation itself is announcing this. And this is exactly what Paul had been talking about at the beginning of the book. Do you remember from uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 19? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, 
namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So that's where he's pointing back to what Paul was, or what the, the psalmist was saying in Psalm 19, is when the sun comes up and moves across the sky, when the stars come out, when the fields grow, when all of these things happen, it is pronouncing God's invisible attributes. So back to his question, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have. And so he's going back to his original statement in uh, chapter one, is they have heard. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish uh, and their darkened heart or their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. So are they without excuse? What about that person who's never heard the gospel? Do they have an excuse? Well, according to not just this one verse, um, but the beginning of the chapter, or the beginning of the book, the Psalms, yeah, they don't have an excuse. So these Gentiles who had a picture, they had a form, they had an understanding of God through what was made, they rejected him. And by the way, what was made is not just the physical things around us. Uh, what Paul goes on to explain is in their hearts, they had the law written. And so the, the, what was made was also their heart, which has the law written on it. And so the, the Gentiles, he's saying here, they have no excuse. They're, they're not going to get away with this. He says, but, but I, uh, uh, verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? All right, so the, Jew, or the Gentiles, yeah, they didn't get it, but did Israel not understand? And so he quotes Moses, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning in verse 21. And so listen to the, the, the verse itself, a little more context. They made me jealous with what is no God. They provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So what again, what Moses is preaching in the law is the gospel. And he's saying that whole thing about those who are not my people and who did not have mercy, I will give them. The Gentiles who did not pursue God, they found God. How did they find God? They found the righteousness by faith because they didn't pursue it by law. So that's what he's saying here. I'll make you jealous with a nation that's not a nation and I'll make you a foolish nation that will make you angry. So seeing God extend mercy to the Gentiles, it, it's, it's flying in the face of what the Jews are supposed to know. And that's why he quotes Isaiah. Um, I, I was found by those who did not seek me. That's repeating what he said previously. The Gentiles who did not pursue it found it. What about Israel then? Well, in Israel, don't forget, they had a special place in chapter three. Paul said, well, what about circumcision? Hey, the Jews had these tremendous blessings. And one of them was they were entrusted with the oracles of God. They had the scriptures. And the beginning of this section, well, what about, and they had the promises and they had the covenants and they had the fathers. Well, what about that? And what God says through his prophet Isaiah is all day long, I held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So why did the Jews fail? Why did they not grasp what they were offered? Because they were obstinate and a contrary people. So as we go out and we preach the gospel, what Paul, I think, is reminding us here in this is, don't be surprised, period. Don't be surprised when it works. Don't be surprised when it fails. 
Don't be surprised when you go to somebody and you think this person is never going to accept the gospel. And they do. Don't be surprised by that because it's not according to human desire or will or exertion. It's God who has mercy. And you go to some people who are like, man, this person is just right for the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel to them. And they totally reject it. So what Paul is warning us is as we go out, as we're sent out to, to preach the gospel, it is God who's at work. We're simply walking along with him. One of the worst things I think we can do for missionaries, and I've heard this done before, is uh, how many people uh, did you convert? Um, how many people were saved by your ministry? We're sending money to you every month to support you in this mission. How many people? We need, we need to have, have the numbers. That can be so debilitating to the missionary. And if our theology is correct, we could look at that and go, we should never ask that question because we're not called to save people. We're called to send people. And as we send people and they go forward and they're faithful with the gospel, that's how God will save them. So instead of asking missionaries, how many people have you saved? What we should be asking them is, how faithful are you with the gospel? And, and verify that. And you should probably do that before they go on the mission trip and before you send them. So this is how God saves people. This is this is the, the whole thing wrapped up together, this, this issue of why do the Jews not get it when they had such great privileges? And how on earth did God save Gentiles who were utterly clueless? He hadn't revealed any of this to them. Well, it's because it's God who has mercy. It's God who extends mercy to people. So this does set us up for chapter 11, where Paul is really going to wrestle with that issue of the Gentiles and the Jews and, and what happens and how does that all come together. And the graphic that I've been using for the sermon series, which we haven't been able to see because we're not meeting in the facility, is an olive tree and there's branches on the ground. And it came from this, this illustration that we're going to see in chapter 11. So looking forward to getting there. Can't wait going to have to wait. We'll get there when we get there. So let's close now in a word of prayer. Lord, we are so grateful. We are grateful beyond measure, first of all, Lord, that you extended your mercy to us, that you would call us to be your people, that we who had no mercy have received mercy, that we who were not a people are now a people. And, and Lord, we're, we're tremendously grateful for what you've done for us in saving us. But then, Lord, to elevate us to the position of a co-worker with you as we go out and we announce your gospel, as we preach it liberally to the nations, to whoever will listen, to, to people who we, we can't imagine would ever believe what we have to say. And, Lord, we do that because we're in partnership with you and you are going to call people to yourself as we are faithful with the gospel. So, Lord, as we preach the gospel... And as we wrestle through to do it as best we can, as faithfully and as truthfully as we can, as clearly as we can, as accurately to the person who's in front of us as we can, Lord, we pray and we ask, would you have mercy? Would you over, overwhelm our desire and our work and have mercy? And so, Lord, um, when we're doing all the things that you've called us to do, as we're walking through our daily lives, as we're being who we are called to be, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to that message with this overwhelming confidence that it is God who's at work and we simply walk with him. Lord, bless our efforts, we pray. And I pray that even during a pandemic, Lord, would you bring many more people to yourself? Maybe especially because of a pandemic, would you bring many more people to yourself? We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.